Welcome to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. The Clark Hewlings Fund exists to provide business training and entrepreneurial learning to visual artists, to turn working artists into thriving artists. Thanks to our Thriving Artist Podcast sponsor, Jerry's Artorama. Jerry sells art supplies online at jerrysartorama.com and at retail locations across the U.S. We're inspired by the story of founder Jerry Goldstein, a Depression-era baby whose journey as a successful entrepreneur began as a kid selling peanuts and beer at a Yankee Stadium. He started Jerry's Artorama in 1968 after he started painting and realized no one else was selling discounted art supplies and focusing on the artist. Jerry's passion is to serve artists, jerrysartorama.com. Now, our guests today are Cornelia Carey and Carey Cleveland of Surf Plus. Surf Plus is a leading nonprofit organization focused on safeguarding artists' livelihood nationwide. Founded in 1985 by and for materials-based artists and craftspeople, their core services are educational programs, advocacy, network building, and emergency relief. Key players in the recovery of creative industries after Hurricane Maria in Puerto Rico, Surf Plus also responded to artists impacted by Hurricanes Irma and Harvey and assisted after the California wildfires. Their advocacy for artists is ongoing, both in times when planning and prevention are the emphasis and in providing support in recovery from a crisis. Obviously, we feel this is a particularly appropriate time to be interviewing Surf Plus. Cornelia Carey is Surf Plus's executive director, the founder of the National Coalition for Arts Preparedness and Emergency Response. Carrie Cleveland is the Education and Outreach Manager and has been on board since 2008. Cornelia and Carrie are both joining us today from Vermont. Cornelia and Carrie, welcome to the show. Thank you. Yeah, thanks. Well, I'm really excited about this. And, and like I say, I think this is a timely moment to do this. And I just want to point out that Surf Plus is an interesting name, you know, and I the one of the first questions I had in my mind was, uh, what is what is the plus, right? So uh, I'm going to let you tell that story. Can you can you explain why it's plus versus just surf? I can do that. Uh, this is Cornelia Carey, and it's great to be on this wonderful podcast with you today. Surf was originally called Craft Emergency Relief Fund. In fact, that's our formal real name as far as the federal government goes. Uh, but in after Hurricane. Katrina, uh, SURF committed to doing a lot more work in the preparedness and mitigation realm. Um, prior to that, we were both mostly an emergency responding organization, kind of more of a reactive kind of organization. But after Hurricane Katrina, we realized that no amount of money that we could ever raise was going to write somebody's life when it had been reduced to a slab, a studio or a home and that we really needed to invest in in helping artists be more prepared and to, and build more resilient careers. So that's how we became Surf Plus. The plus being all of that preparedness. I like the addition of preparedness because obviously that's part of the national discussion right now. Could this incident that we're experiencing could it have been avoided or could uh the impact of it have been reduced had we been more prepared? Um so I think it's a very timely topic. Let me ask you, this must be an incredibly busy time for you. Um, can you give us a quick overview about what you're doing day to day? Yeah, I can uh, happily share that. It has been a very busy time because usually after major disasters, we have 
kind of an all hands on deck. So Hurricane Maria is an example of that. For basically two years, we were very focused on working with artists in the U.S. Virgin Islands and Puerto Rico to help them recover from that devastating hurricane. And, and meanwhile, continuing to do our other work, our education and our other emergency relief response. But, you know, we could really focus heavily in, in one geographic area. With COVID-19, it's, you know, all over the world, basically. Uh, so for SURF, that means the entire U.S. and the territories. So our work has focused on our emergency relief, um, which is actually without COVID-19. This is uh, we are halfway through our fiscal year and we've already spent more money on our emergency relief than we did in the entirety of last year. So it was already a busy emergency response year. Um, with COVID-19, right now we're focused on uh, the health and emergency medical care related needs of artists who have, have gotten the virus, as well as still responding to the myriad other disasters artists are facing, you know, including the recent tornadoes uh, in and around the Nashville area, and also artists who suffered significant losses in the earthquakes last January in Puerto Rico. So in addition to, to that, uh, we are actively aggregating, creating, combining, curating resources and information that help artists look at this current crisis. So uh, our, I think our last count, there were 130 emergency relief funds that have been created for artists around the country and in the territories. There's also been now a couple of uh, free actual federal aid packages that artists can access. So we want to make sure our our artists, the artists that we work with, are aware of these opportunities um, and how to navigate them. And finally, we've been, as you mentioned in your introduction, we've been doing advocacy, which is basically working with a cultural advocacy group and Americans for the Arts and making sure that the needs of artists and other self-employed workers are embedded in these various federal relief packages. So that that interests me in particular because um, you know there's any number of organizations collating or curating uh, other resources, right? But you're doing more than that uh, in the form of advocacy. And so I, I'm curious, what kinds of questions are you getting from the artists you serve, uh, and or responses that you're seeing from other arts organizations? Harry, do you want to answer that? Sure. Um, in terms of what we're hearing from artists make sure that when we are conducting advocacy, we're really representing their needs and where they're at. We conducted a nationwide survey of artists so that they could share directly with us their experiences during the COVID-19 pandemic. And you know, it's, the results probably won't come as a surprise. What we're hearing is that people are already and are anticipating experiencing you know, loss of revenue from show cancellations. Uh, loss of revenue through gallery sales, loss of direct sale revenue. Um, you know, people were looking at just initially from the start of this uh, financial loss of an average of close to $7,000 and then projecting out three months, uh, an average loss of over $18,000. So the, the impacts of this are pretty immediate and pretty clear. 
Are you seeing uh, re interesting responses from other arts organizations? Uh, another way of putting it is, would you say they're mostly silent or heavily involved, or, or, or what are you seeing? What's the landscape? So what I'm seeing, they're incredibly, incredibly involved, and that's been one of the really rallying points during this. So many organizations around the country have created emergency relief funds to serve their constituency and try to meet some of that financial loss that I just talked about. You know, Cornelia mentioned that there are over 130 funds that have been created just since this started, and organizations are gathering with each other on a regular basis to share resources and you know, make sure that everyone has information that they can be taking back to their community. People organizations have been acting really fast around this. Uh, that encourages me. Uh, you know, the Clark Healings Fund, obviously a sponsor of this podcast, is working with a number of organizations as well. Um, and our normal uh, process is to deliver business education and entrepreneurial learning for artists so that um, they can sell their art effectively, build out the career of their dreams, uh, tell their story as individual brands, etc. And what we're finding is uh, a lot of organizations who've had their shows canceled, they've uh, been unable to, to deliver the kind of programming that they intended to for this year, are seeing actually an increased need at a time of limited capacity that, um, that they need to to help artists not only with money, but also uh, with how do you adapt? How can you sell effectively at a time like this? Is it, is it all or nothing or are there things you can do? So I'm heartened to hear that um, there is apparently a general consensus among arts organizations or in the, the community of services to artists that, that this needs to be addressed. We don't wait for the government uh, to help us only. Uh, and the question might arise, would they even if they could, but are we on their big target list? And I suppose uh, that's where your advocacy partly comes in, does it not? Uh, are, are you involved in drawing attention in any particular way to artists as a particularly affected community versus, say, stockbrokers or, or real estate people? Uh, we've been really making that case, you know, that artists, artists' careers are small business. And like any other small business, oftentimes they employ people, uh, they purchase equipment and supplies and materials, they buy real estate, they rent real estate, they are definitely part of economies. Um, if you look at a state like Vermont, um, after Hurricane Irene, 80% of the businesses in Vermont are considered small businesses with two people and under. And those are typically artist businesses. So that's always been the case that we've made even before COVID-19, um, when we've looked at other other programs that artists should be able to access as small businesses that, that can help them in the face of disasters. So Earlier, you've uh, mentioned uh, tornadoes, and you said that um, COVID is not the only thing going on, obviously, and, and that um, there is... But but it so much of what I'm hearing you talk about is weighted uh, toward COVID because obviously it's the biggest thing occupying uh, uh, most of the U.S. right now. <laughs> it's determining the outcomes of our of our lives and our livelihood. So I understand that you completed a survey to assess the effects of the current crisis on you know businesses of um, uh, over. 3,000 studio-based artists, meaning 3,000 instances of those kinds of small businesses you're talking about. What are those numbers telling you, if anything, so far? What are you seeing? 
So I, I can speak to that a bit. Um, you know, I shared a little earlier about some of those financial losses that people were projecting where immediately you know, they were seeing $7,000 losses. Um, you know, but in terms of the questions that we asked that are less you know, data-centric and more around asking people to reflect what their situations are, you know, we asked people what their current needs for support are. And it shouldn't come as any surprise that the resounding answer was cash. You know, people cited real concerns around being able to pay the rent or their mortgage. Um, the other really common thread was people were needing support in getting set up for or increasing their online sales to cover the income that they're losing through show cancellations and loss of direct sales. Um, and then the other reality that came up was even if people have good online systems in place already um, and have access to their studios, their day-to-day -day life has completely changed, maybe you know, from having children at home. And so now that daytime that they normally would have spent in their studio, they're adjusting to this new landscape where they're homeschooling their children. So, so there's a lot of you know, a lot of info from people just you know, being really open and sharing out what they're thinking about. You know, are, how long is this going to last? Um, are more shows going to be canceled? What about tourism-based economies this summer? What's that going to look like? Even if you know things go back to you know quotation marks normal, um, will people want to travel? There are a lot of questions that people have right now. I'm particularly interested in your analysis of those numbers. Uh, the Clark Healings Fund has a data science team. I'm on that team. Um, and we recently released the report, um, Report on the Working Artist, which our audience can get at clarkhealingsfund.org slash R-O-W-A, uh, Report on the Working Artist. Um, and that was a research report uh, that uh, covered the state, uh, the needs of working artists in the United States, and then also what kinds of programming tends to be effective, what, what moves the needle in terms of artist success. Now, you guys are looking at these numbers uh, and they're, they're sending you a message about the current situation and where artists fit in it. What are the next steps in the analysis of those numbers and, and how will they be used? Are there, are there plans to take it farther than, than simply knowing the truth? Uh, well, uh, first, I, I want to also mention another survey that's going on where we're really trying to encourage any organizations that are serving artists to direct their artists to so that we can, um, you know, cover a, a, a more broad and diverse community of artists in this country. And that's Americans for the Arts. Uh, and um, they have, I, Carrie, I, I think I'm right. I think their their survey is still up. So that's an important one for all of us who serve artists to be sharing with the artists we serve. Our survey work has, uh, you know, traditionally checked in with artists at various intervals in their recovery. So we need to kind of figure out when um, when things have changed significantly with this current crisis where it makes sense to return and gather more data. That could be three months, it could be six months, it could be a year, uh, and then usually after that, two years later, just to really hone in more on recovery. And then we use that data for all kinds of purposes. Um, clearly for our own, we're always looking to strengthen our practice and um, better serve the community of artists that we work with. We also want to know if there are additional needs that artists are asking for 
that haven't been addressed or uh, or more of what we have been doing. And also we share the data with other organizations serving artists as well as, you know, use them, you know, for our advocacy work or with uh, places like the National Endowment for the Arts, um, you know, because everybody really appreciates data collection and, and having some real hard numbers to work with. So I'm I'm hearing that those numbers offer us kind of a gauge of the, the current condition, but also a gauge of what's working, what's not, when the needle moves, et cetera. And, um, and that you use it almost as a way to dip the toe in the waters and, and take the temperature and, and see where we are at the moment. And then I understand that you, you pivot and one way that you um, may involve that kind of data or at least the insights from the data is politically. Um, so Surf Plus has been involved in advocating to include language in the CARES Act, the, the recent act passed by Congress to provide economic assistance to American workers and families and other relief packages that address the situation of self-employed artists. And I wonder, uh, what is the nature of those inclusions in the CARES Act? What's, what's wrong with the language the way it was, the way it stood? Well, traditionally, self-employed workers, gig workers, uh, artists ha- have not been a part of various federal relief packages. Um, and every disaster that you see, every federally declared disaster has a different approach and inclusion or exclusion of self-employed workers. And so each time it really makes sense to make clear, you know, through these ongoing advocacy working groups and with strong relationships, um, you know, in both parties in the federal government. So it really is the arts serves everybody in this country, not not just uh, right-leaning or left-leaning or middle of the road. Um, and so it, it, you know, it, they're reminders. We always talk about advocacy as educating decision makers about the issues and the needs of a very important population in this country that might not be represented, you know, when you think of uh, disaster response, for example. I tell people, by the way, that I lean to the right simply because one of my legs is longer than the other. But uh, uh, but that's usually <laughs> just in good fun when they when they're asking where I stand. Uh, so uh, right now I stand in my kitchen a lot. Um, so let me ask you this: It sounds like the gist of it is that they're not paying attention in the first place to artists um, when that art is valued by a lot of different groups, that art impacts everybody, but that sometimes we put it in a silo and we don't include art or artists in our sort of macro perspective on the problems that we may be solving. This is an economic problem, not an art problem. And so we sort of bucket those things. At least that's my take on what I'm hearing. So let me frame it this way. Is that right? Or what do you think is the central point that policymakers simply may not get about the livelihoods of artists, or what do you wish they knew, and if you could explain it to them? Well, artists, like many other self-employed workers, don't have access to what you would call a a safety net of of benefits that oftentimes comes with employment, such as health insurance, um, such as paid time off, other other supports and security, and I think increasingly our nation is is becoming 
uh, more of a gig economy and more there are more uh, contract workers, even though some states are trying to get rid of contract workers. But um, and and so you know artists are in the mix there. Um, you know if you look at uh, go to the freelancers union website and and you'll see the work that they're doing there on behalf of that population to make clear you know what their needs are in this in this kind of economy. So I don't think that artists are necessarily unique in that in that landscape. Um, certainly their incomes are episodic. Um, they tend to be uh, not um, uh, very large incomes and they're very much, uh, you know, at least currently right now, uh, in this economy where you have, you know, artists would normally be able to pivot to their teaching careers um, or go back to their studio, depending on what the setback is in, in this current crisis, it's, it's kind of everything has stopped, you know, and very suddenly. So um, we did some research back in 2013 and asked, you know, this myriad questions about the status of, of artists in the craft field and, and came to find out that 75% of them have three months of savings or less. So um, if you look at this current crisis with things shutting down in March, you know, by May, uh, it, it's a pretty de desperate situation for people. So we're, you know, in there with the other advocates for small business. Um, because very clearly all of these small uh emergency relief funds that, you know, range from 250 to 5,000, at least that we know of, are really, um, uh, you know, not going to plug the hole for very long. And, and clearly there's a need for relief from the government and, uh, and elsewhere. And, you know, perhaps even a jobs program. Um, you know, people need work right now. And artists have a lot to contribute in the face of recovery, which is very exciting, actually. And I, I want to add on to what Cornelia said and echo all of it, but go back to you know, what you were saying in the question about, you know, how the, maybe people think artists live in a separate bucket than the economy and it, it's not related. There's hard data that says just how wrong that is. Uh, just last month, the Bureau of Economic Analysis reported that the arts and culture workforce contributed 877.8 billion dollars or 4.5 percent to the nation's gross domestic product in 2017. So it's just simply not true that artists exist outside of the economy. They're a vital part of it. I think sometimes as I listen to you guys talk, you know, um, I'm conscious of the larger um, voice that we have in the media. Um, and I'm interested particularly in um, some of the, the use the word exciting, but some of the positive um, stories that we have and, and in artist resilience, because I think sometimes it's easy. I, I would be remiss if I let us uh, end an episode in a little while with um, this sucks, <laughs> but we're paying attention to you. You know, I want to I, I think uh, there has to be hope or, or what was the point of the show? And uh, so um, you've seen some remarkable examples of artists and makers communities recovering after emergency situations. And of course, it may be too soon to uh, to give accounts of the ones related to COVID, but some of those include, you know, hurricanes, wildfires. Uh, can you share 
some of those hopeful stories with us that we might be able to learn something from. Yeah, it it does actually. Um, and I, I think what I, I want to do is I have a reflection from uh, an artist named Diana Davila, who's a sculptor and ceramicist and jewelry designer in Puerto Rico. Um, after Hurricane Maria, she spent 110 days without electricity and 45 days without water. Because of the lack of electricity, she wasn't able to fire her ceramics. Uh, but then she went back to making jewelry, and you know, that was a really positive source of of expressing herself and healing. Um, and I, I just want to share something that she said after Maria and when she was reflecting back on that experience. It's really powerful. And I, I confess to your readers, I don't have this memorized. Um, I'm not that talented, but I am reading it. But I, I just, I, I think that it'll it's just this really remarkable way of sharing what she saw. She said, you know, I relearned that life changes in a split second. The changes may bring you growth and opportunities if you let them. I learned ways to better protect myself in the future, and that protection is not only physical, but economic, emotional, and spiritual. I needed to reexamine the way I work and produce and manage the sales of my craft in order to be prepared for next time. We're not alone. We're part of a larger community, no matter where we are. Makes me want to ask um, Cornelia to you in particular, um, and feel free not to answer this question if you feel it's too controversial, of course. But uh, what do you wish, if anything, was different about the national message uh, around COVID and around the crisis? And I'll give one tiny example, which is I'm tired of hearing the word crisis over and over. It's lasting too long to be a crisis over and over and over again, but it's so dominating. Uh, my consciousness here in New York, especially, that um, I cannot sustain the level of crisis mode uh, that I'm getting from news media and from the public discussion in social media. I cannot constantly focus on this is a crisis, this is a crisis. I have to turn emotionally and be able to look at what am I going to do to uh, build my way out of this, uh, this box, you know, what is the next step as the waters of the tsunami recede? Uh, and maybe that isn't the highest priority thing you're thinking about, but I am curious, what, what do you wish if anything were different about the national message? Well, I don't know. I, I, you know, the national message is going to be what, <laughs> you know, whoever has the, uh, the, uh, talking stick, honestly. Um, I do think that, especially in our early research um, and asking artists the question of, you know, what are you doing, um, you know, as far as as, as your own work uh, in your studio or and or how have you pivoted? And I think early on, and, and I still see it as early on, that's an impossible question to answer when your income has suddenly been cut off. You know, I, I don't think we can expect people to uh, be able to pivot and turn around. I think the economy was already slowing down for many artists. I think we were seeing that at at a number of shows, and uh, some artists have been able to pivot more to very successfully use social media and their own platforms for selling their work. Uh, you know, so everybody's in a, a different circumstance. But I do think that you know, artists are so important to recovery. And we've seen that over and over again in, in their own communities, um, just their way of understanding things differently 
and uh, you know creative solutions to problems and and so I, I do think that in the next couple of months we we are going to see a pivot and we already are in some instances where people are just going about the work very differently or they're looking at their skill sets as artists and and looking at what income possibilities are out there that can use those skill sets and and I think it's it's like just you know moving past that shock and understanding that this is really going to be a long time problem so um, we can't expect to go back to the way things were before um, and so that's you know kind of what I'm thinking about and I also think as, as a nation there's so many examples of you know, especially with the WPA of, you know, creating uh, jobs uh, for artists and other other workers who have a great interest in working and can contribute significantly in their communities and elsewhere. And, and that's, you know, that's where I think, you know, we want to be at SURF is, is looking at what, what are those, how can we help create some opportunities that m might not be existing quite yet. And yet, you know, our, we know our nation needs a whole infrastructure rebuild. I mean, just think about how artists could be involved in in making our our communities much more robust and beautiful and and well designed. You know, there, there I you know, I honestly I get excited when I think about the possibilities of engaging artists more in in our communities and in recovery. You know, you mentioned the WPA, and I'm I'm going to ask a question about that probably here in a minute, um, uh, a couple of minutes. But I I want to stay on this track a second, push it a little farther. I uh, we've talked a bit about different programs and services offered from different quarters. So there's arts organizations and what they're doing. Um, there are federal programs uh, that you've been involved in shaping the language of. There's messaging, which isn't. You, I don't know if you would categorize that as a program, but there, there's the national discussion that's being held, which is um, uh, perhaps just as important as as direct uh, relief, et cetera. But what we haven't discussed is um, what you may be seeing in the way artists are supporting each other through this time. You know, what are artists doing for one another? And I understand that uh, there's something called hashtag artist support pledge. Um, and mm -hmm. that involves... Uh, so far, six, around 60,000 posts from artists and makers uh, from all over the world. Uh, and artists are posting picture of their works for sale for no more than uh, 200 pounds. I think this was started in the UK. And every time an artist makes uh, 1,000 pounds in sales, they commit 20% to purchasing the work of another artist using the same hashtag. And according to The Guardian, um, it's already generated uh, 9 million or is generating 9 million pounds uh, in a week. Um, so my question is, um, have you personally seen other evidence that that's working here in the U.S., or are there other uh, ways in which artists are supporting each other that you could highlight um, that are just as impactful? Yeah, I, I learned about Artist Support Pledge from seeing it being posted by artists here in the U.S., and it wasn't until I looked at it more that I, I discovered that it originated in the U.K. I, I thought maybe we started that, <laughs> but... Um, <laughs> We're Americans. <laughs> we did it. If we 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 will take credit if it's at all possible. <laughs> right. If if it exists, it must be our doing. It must be ours. Please continue. Yeah. Um. 
so I, I've seen that. I have been seeing, you know, evidence of artists sharing what's working for them and selling online and, you know, sharing when they figure out how to teach, you know, what platform they use, how they made that work, you know, what the things that, that they had to think about that they weren't anticipating were so that, you know, they can help someone else be just that much farther ahead as they're working on that. I, I think of, you know, the arts community, you know, and artists in particular just being so you know, generous with each other and supportive of each other. Yeah, and if I can just riff on that a little bit, I mean, SURF was founded on that gesture of mutual aid, you know, of artists helping artists through emergencies, you know, at, at uh, all these craft shows. Inevitably, there was somebody that had an emergency, and they literally would pass the hat to help that person go home with some money to pay bills or to rebuild or and, that, you know, that spirit is, is so strong today. And, you know, you're seeing it locally in communities. You're seeing it online with people sharing work and ideas. And I think there's an incredible generosity of spirit going on that people are very much wanting to help each other out. Um, we just, Carrie and I just uh, participated in three webinars that were organized by the American Craft Council with Springboard for the Arts and uh, SNAG and, and actually SURF was co-sponsoring with them, uh, you know, and really uh, artists helping artists with ideas on how they manage their, their social media presence, how they sell work, how they're thinking about this time. Um, and, and people have a little bit more time, or many people do right now, to really take in these lessons and, and to both share how they work and think, but also receive those messages and learn. So, yeah, that's a very positive aspect of all of this. To, um, to pivot to one more audience, we haven't talked about collectors. Is there anything art collectors can do to support artists right now? Buy art! <laughs> I don't even think it has to be collectors. I think anybody with a regular paycheck right now, unlike so many other people, should be buying art, should be donating to their food bank, should be, you know, uh, really trying to, you know, help out. You know, we are extremely lucky to have our work continue. And I always say that supporting artists is like supporting nonprofits, really. You know, we look at a lot of artists' tax forms and people don't, you know, they may on the outside look like they, you know, have beautiful jewelry and incredible clothes or whatever in the, in the craft field especially, but they are one setback away from, you know, real financial turmoil. So people are really in trouble right now. And, you know, I think all of us need to, to be supportive in any ways that we can. Let me dig into that uh, for a second, because um, you you made an interesting statement, which is if you have a regular paycheck, buy art uh, or give to a food bank was the second thing you said. And and it made me think, well, um, in a way, uh, buying art might keep people out of the food bank. <laughs> so <laughs> my question is, uh, therefore, logically, um, are you seeing that artists are that close to the edge in some cases that food banks are their only alternative if somebody's not buying their art or are we a ways away from being that bad off? Oh, I have no doubt that many artists are visiting their local food banks. 
for sure. No doubt at all. You know, I, I, th- I think you're seeing, you know, huge lines uh, outside of, of food banks across the country. And many of those people are people who have suddenly lost their income and have no savings to put food on the table. You know, I, it, you can't buy, you know, seeds to grow in your garden around here because so many people are uh, counting on growing their own food, for example, this summer. So, uh, you know, I think people, artists are very self-sufficient in many ways, more so than most most people in this country. But, uh, you know, if you live in a city and don't have access to affordable food, you are going to be at the food bank. Let me go back to something uh, you said, Cornelius. I think it was you, Cornelius, said uh, mentioned the WPA, um, which uh, Roosevelt established during the Depression. Um, so, is anything like that really conceivable uh, right now? And even if it isn't, you know, what could we learn from it? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, I know that there are conversations um, happening, and I don't know much more than that. Um, certainly, many of us have been, you know, encouraging our friends at the National Endowment for the Arts and other federal agencies to be thinking about uh, a program that resonates more with our time, maybe than the WPA. But a lot of people have been talking about it because it 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 makes sense. Um, you have a highly skilled population of people who don't have work right now, and you have you know, a country whose infrastructure is broken, you know, and you put the two together and it's exciting to think about what could happen. Um, and, and, you know, personally, I've always felt that artists should be more a part of our, you know, the, the national emergency management community and deployed like others are deployed in disasters because, you know, they're the ones that are showing up at shelters providing arts education for the kids that are not able to go to school, or they're the ones that are offering the concerts that make people feel better. So, you know, artists are very important to recovery. Um, unfortunately, they're very vulnerable in disasters as well. So that's, that's why we've been so committed to, to building programs that help them be more resilient so they can play that role in, in recovery in their communities. We know the the WPA, the the Works Progress Administration, um, hired more than five thousand artists as the U.S. came out of the Great Depression, and I'm wondering, do you think they understood something that we don't understand now? Well, it was different leadership at the time, um, but I- you're walking gently as you say that. You're just careful. You're you're, you're walking <laughs> well, around it. <laughs> I, I'm walking around it, but I will say that I participated in uh, you know a service organization's gathering that the National Endowment for the Arts had recently, and and it's so clear to me that it's it, it's a different time, but also the same. I think people recognize the incredible contributions that that art and culture makes to our country, um, and not only to our economy, but our sense of well-being, our sense of ourselves, and and also just the hands-on, you know, uh, problem-solving abilities that artists have. And so I, I, I must admit, I don't know enough about what was in FDR's head at the time, but I think it's really inspiring 
to this present situation and um, you know any way we can get a, a jobs program going for artists even you know thinking organizations like surf you know hiring artists to help uh, deal with certain problems that we're trying to wrap our heads around you know like all of us can uh, maybe start thinking about ways to be hiring artists for the short or long term. Well, a couple of questions as we wind down the episode. Um, so are there any silver linings in this pandemic situation? Uh, that might sound like an odd question to ask, but you know, I, I'm thinking, for instance, even just receptiveness to the whole idea of artists preparing their business for seismic challenges. But I leave it to you. What what are the silver linings, if there are any? You know, it's I I think that times like now are incredible opportunities to rethink how we do things from you know our own organization to being uh, you know very clear about what artists need to be able to continue their work in this culture and economy. I don't quite have the words on silver linings yet because I think, I mean, maybe talk to me in <laughs> three or four months. I, I, right now, it feels like we're, you know, still on the front lines of, you know, a very significant um, problem, which is our economy is, is shut down. And, um, you know, despite everybody's, you know, incredible creativity and ability to contribute, you know, it, that needs to get moving and, 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 and in safe ways. And so it, it is giving all of us a lot of time to think. And I think in, in that, maybe that's a silver lining that we have this opportunity. Um, some of us do more than others, but to slow down and, and really think what our priorities are and, you know, how we want to come out of this in a different way, in a better way. Um, I always like to think of our work as readiness, response, recovery, and transformation. Um, the T, you know, and that is spells art, if you are really into that kind of thing. But the transformation piece is, you know, let's not do this again. You know, we can't control pandemics, clearly, but, you know, we can control things like, you know, what do I need to have for months of savings? Um, is my art career going to buy me that? If it's not what skills do I have? Um, what's needed in my community? You know, just, uh, you know, all of these just um, questions to ask ourselves. So I eventually got to your silver lining. <laughs> there, well, I think, you know, I am seeing some uh, clues to, to a silver lining, which is that um, artists um, necessarily bring creative problem solving and creative intelligence to the table. And so what I'm seeing is um, artists finding creative ways to offer hope um, during crisis and therefore uh, and, and to connect people through virtual performances and virtual exhibits and so on. Um, and that um, they found a way in many cases to uh, comfort people who are in isolation necessarily. Um, and so I think uh, it is possible at least that what we will see is a repositioning of artists back to their central role 
of um, solving problems that, I mean, I've seen artists do things like come up with uh, unique ways to make uh, masks to protect people when you don't have access to masks because they're they're all sold out on Amazon and Amazon won't deliver them to you anyway. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, right. you know, and but but even less practical and immediate than that, I'm seeing artists uh, take on the mantle of connecting people, encouraging people, uh, and stimulating uh, the emotional center uh, as well as the creative intelligence of people to face a crisis. And I, I don't think this will be the last crisis that we face. I don't think, as much as I said, I, 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 it gets old using the word crisis all the time, but we've got a climate one uh, that we're going to face and we have political ones and other ones that um, obviously will be ongoing, which is why your organization uh, exists <laughs> to help artists uh, face these situations. So I think, um, I think what you're doing and what artists are doing in response to what you're doing and the interaction that is being created um, is the silver lining, if I may say so. Mm-hmm. Um, I wonder if I can get a little more specific as we wrap up and uh, ask you to go over the basics of your Get Ready grants. Um, tell us who can apply, what the deadlines are, how, do, how does one take advantage of that if they're still available? Um, for Get Ready, I can speak to that. That's my work. Um, the Get Ready grants, they're up to $500 um, for artists to take some kind of career protection or studio safety move. So people have used them for things like improving ventilation systems in their studios. Um, there's someone who was in our last cycle of grants who is working on aggregating documentation of her career. You know, in her early stages of her career, she has her work on slides, and then she has work that, you know, images of work that's been stored on external hard drives, and now she has things in the cloud, so she's really working on consolidating all of that. Um, I will say that we have put that program on hold temporarily as we focus on COVID-19. So if people are interested in learning more, I encourage people to go to our website, which is surfplus.org, and sign up to get our communications. There's a little form at the bottom of the page where you can do that. And we will you know, send around word when we do reopen that program when we're, we're a little more through this pandemic than we are right now. Let me ask one last question, which is, what is next for Surf Plus and and both of you in the next few weeks? Uh, I can answer that. Uh, Well, our ongoing work continues, which is that we we will continue to advocate for the needs of artists, you know, vis-a-vis the federal government. Um, Actually, in fact, next week, we're participating in a virtual arts advocacy day and we'll be presenting on an issue that we've been working on for a number of years right now, which is to get a regulatory change at FEMA to enable self-employed workers to access a program that's currently only available to W-2 employees. Um, So advocacy is a big piece of what we're doing. Carrie's participating in, you know, at least two or three webinars a week that are educational and informational um, from you know, work with state arts agencies to, she did it, something with the uh, artwork archive yesterday. Um, so that's ongoing. And then we're also, you know, as I, I mentioned earlier, we're responding to a number of emergencies in artists' lives right now that I think COVID-19 has, you know, kind of put over the edge. You know, many of them seem to be uh, career-threatening emergencies that artists thought they could manage. Um, 
within their own means and then with this added layer of lost income has now become really indeed career threatening. So we're trying to keep up with that demand um, and you know have been averaging about 100 inquiries a week. And we are looking at recovery and, and trying to put into work you know a program that would be more about artists in the recovery phase of this crisis. And that is uh, acknowledging the many funds that exist right now that many of which will likely, you know, run their course in the next month or so. Um, and, um, and often what often happens is that there's no access to those kinds of funding programs you know, in the recovery phase of a disaster. And so we're really focused on longer term recovery. And I, I can't say yet what that's going to look like, but it would, you know, probably be very focused on, you know, communities that tend to be underserved by organizations like SERV. So that's what's ahead. We just had our first virtual board meeting last Friday that went very well. We're also using the, this time as an organization to really reflect on our work and how we need to change based on what we're learning in real time right now. Um, and we're, you know, ongoing working with a number of organizations who care about the same things that we do, which is supporting artists' careers. So, you know, having weekly meetings with organizations that are doing disaster relief right now and, and so that's the short term. And then the long term is we complete our strategic plan in 2020. So, you know, we are right now having an opportunity to reflect on what the future looks like. You've been listening to the Thriving Artist Podcast, an educational feature of the Clark Hewlings Fund for Visual Artists. If you've enjoyed this program, be sure to subscribe to new episodes and review your experience on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you tune in. For more information on Cornelia and Carrie's work at Surf Plus, visit surfplus.org. That's C-E-R-F-P-L-U-S dot org. For more information on the Clark Healings Fund, visit clarkhealingsfund.org. To sponsor our learning programs with your impactful gift of any size, visit clarkhealingsfund.org slash donate. Thank you for listening, and thanks again to Jerry's Artorama. Thank you, Cornelia and Carrie. It's been really great having you. Our pleasure. Yeah, thanks for having us. Two.